listening to another hope-filled message from Life. For more information about our church, visit lifeau.org. I got saved when I was 16 years old. I was uh, going to uh, Selwyn College, which is a public co-ed school in a suburb called Kaui Maramara in, in Auckland. Uh, three years prior to that, I was at a private uh, Presbyterian boys' school, and I told my dad for my uh, sixth form year or my uh, year uh, 12, I said, Dad, can I go to this other school? I said, don't waste your money sending me there. I wasn't too focused on schoolwork. I wanted to go to the other school because there were chicks there. Amen. <laughs> and you didn't have to wear a, a NAF uniform. You could just wear your, uh, you know, wear whatever, wear your beach baggies. And, um, and, and that year when I thought I was going to go to the school and get girlfriends and go to parties, uh, in March of 1987, I met the Lord and um, like thousands, thousands, hundreds of you here have tonight. Uh, my life was turned upside down. I was born again. I was saved. I got water baptized. I got baptized in the Holy Spirit. I got delivered from a whole bunch of you know junk that was in my life. Uh, I had a new perspective, a new paradigm, a new heart. I felt clean. I felt felt surreal. I was like back at school and like people were talking on a Monday morning. The parties they went to, and I used to lie about you know when I was talking to those. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You drunk you know six died lagers, bro. I drank eight, you know, and I would just make up stuff and tell lies and try and act tough, but I didn't wasn't really that bad in those areas, you know. Anyway, but I, I just felt like, I felt like, wow, that used to be me and I'm not that anymore because I'd been born again. And, you know, the sea never looked so beautiful. The mountains never looked so magnificent. The cicadas, the birds, the bees, the trees. I love creation. I just wanted to get out there and hug trees and be one with nature because I had this connection to the invisible God who created this beautiful world that we live in. And I realized, my God, I've, got, I've been born again. This is real. And people said, oh man, Campbell has gone religious, reckons he's seen the light. And I'm like, I have, I have. I've like seen the light. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And remember my brother rolling his eyeballs, but you know, a few months later, he ended up getting saved. And my friend was like, oh Campbell, you're such a cool guy until you became a Christian. And then about four months later, he got saved, you know. And then, um, uh, and then my, uh, well, long story, my dad. Dad ran off with another lady, as happens when you're not living with God. And uh, my mum hit rock bottom, and then she got saved. And then fast forward uh, eight or nine years later, my dad got a tumour on the back of his nose and had to have an operation and realised it could have been uh, malignant, it could have been terminal. And he came back to the place he was living with another lady and sat down at the little organ, and he uh, read around the back of the... um, chair that he was sitting on, he pulled an old Baptist hymnal book out and he opened up to how great thou art and he said, God, I've been such a fool, I've been such a fool, I've left a beautiful lady, I've walked away from wonderful kids and I'm living here in a place with a lady who's left her husband and I'm living here in an adulterous relationship, my God, my life is on the line I've been, and he, and he got, fell on his knees and got gloriously born again and a few months later, God did a miracle and my mum and dad got back together again and held hands and renewed their wedding vows. And my whole family got saved and my sister got saved. And uh, amen, Get, you know, God is wonderful. And, and it all started just because a little arrogant, skinny little 16-year-old kid got saved in New Zealand, you know. But never underestimate when God gets a hold of you in your heart, the ripples and the influence that can go out from you. 
And uh, I made a commitment. I said, God, I just want to be faithful to you if I don't succeed in life financially, if I don't succeed socially, if I don't succeed in other areas. But God, if I get through this life and whatever the next 60, 70, 80 years holds, God, if I can come out of this with this clean heart and a romance in my heart and a love for you, God, I've succeeded in life. And so I'm a simple guy, really. I try and keep it simple. And I want to talk to you tonight about the heart. And, uh, and right now, in heaven, God is looking down through the ceiling. And in fact, not only looking down from heaven, He is right here, right now. Jesus Christ is walked by the Holy Spirit. He's walking these aisles. And the Bible said that his, the eyes of the Lord go to and fro throughout the whole earth, seeking those whose hearts are loyal to Him. Every little Jewish kid at the age of six, when they entered into Bet Safar, which was the elementary Jewish school down at the local synagogues where the rabbis would teach them, and the first scriptural verse they would be taught was from Deuteronomy 4, verse 6. And every little Jewish kid would say, Shema Israel, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. That was the most important verse in the Torah to them, uh, declaring the plurality, yet the unity of the triune Godhead and His supremacy over their lives. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord, He is one. Compound unity and applied in that as the Trinity. And the very next verse would say, And you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, and with all of your strength, all of your wealth, all your resources, all your mental faculties, all your heart, all your affection, all your devotion, all your passion, all your life. The most important thing is you shall love the Lord your God. And it goes on to say, These words of mine shall be in your heart. And Jesus Christ talked and He said, if you've got a good heart, out of that good heart, you'll bring forth good things. But if you've got a bad heart, what you'll continually bring forth in your life is bad stuff. And it's not so much the stuff is the issue. The issue is a bad heart. And Christianity does not work from the outside in. It works from the inside out. And Jesus Christ talked about the heart and the centrality of the heart and the importance of the heart. And he rejected the formalized Jewish religion of the time because it had become so external. And he said, never mind about cleaning the outside of the cup. He said, you focus on the heart and the outside will end up nice and shiny. And the heart is so important. And uh, Jesus was the most brilliant teacher ever. How many looking forward to getting to heaven and hearing a sermon from Jesus? Amen. Just to sit around a campfire and hear Jesus sit down and have a flat white and a croissant, and let's let Jesus just begin to have a cordial, amen? Some of you are like, what's this Maori language? I've been brought up in Aotearoa, so a bit of a trio Māori comes out of me. And, um, you know, he was the greatest teacher ever, and the greatest way he taught, he taught in five made, made ways. The main way he taught was by his lifestyle and his example. How many know one in the eye is worth a thousand in the air? You can hear people telling you stuff, telling you stuff, telling you stuff, but if you don't see them doing what they are telling you, it doesn't carry much weight. But you see people practicing what they preach and it carries authority. So his example was the greatest way he taught and it's the same way he wants us to live our life. The second major way he taught was using parables. And he was the master at using parables to illustrate his sermon. And uh, the word parable uh, comes from a Greek word, uh, parabole. Para means uh, beside, and ball means, uh, the word bole means to throw down like a ball. And so a parable 
was uh, an illustrated story thrown down or a story from nature, a natural story thrown down beside a spiritual reality to help us understand more clearly the importance of the spiritual reality. But he used the natural. And so he would talk about birds and he would talk about waves and he would talk about agriculture and land and trees and birds and seeds and that to to, uh, convey to us the importance of spiritual reality and the importance of the heart. So his greatest way of teaching was his example. His greatest method of teaching was his uh, was parables. And his greatest parable that has given more content in Matthew, Mark, and Luke than any other of his parables is the parable of the sower, or also known as the parable of the soils. And really what it is, is an agricultural lesson that applies to agriculture. But more importantly, he said, hey, more important than seeds and, you know, apple trees and orchards and corn, wheat and all that stuff is your heart. And he talked about a particular sower who went out one day with a great big seed bag. And uh, Israel was an agricultural nation. And this sower went out with the best seed. And recently I re-sowed our, uh, our lawn a couple of years ago where we live and uh, I t- said to my lawnmower, man, what's the best type of uh, seed? And he said, Cam, go to this place and get tall fescue. It's real nice grass. And I got that and I killed off the old stuff and sowed in beautiful, nice, big, lush grass. Uh, this was very good seed, but there were four different types of soil. And the first type of soil, and I'm going to have this come up on the screen uh, behind me here. In Matthew 13, verse 19, it says, When anyone hears the word of the kingdom... And does not understand it, then the wicked one comes and snatches away the the seed that was sown in his heart. This is he who received the seed by the wayside. The wayside was uh, the same land as the real good soil, but in uh, Israel they would have like, you know, acreages of uh, where they would plant their wheat and their corn and their crops. And then they would have footpaths where the travelers and the people walked. And so over the years, thousands and thousands of people walking along these these dirt roads and the dirt would be so compacted and so hard, it was the same soil as over here that's thick and lush and aerated and cultivated and weeded and beautiful. It's the same soil, same composition, but it has been left and it had got baked by the sun and it might as well have been concrete. And when the seed landed on it, he said, birds just came down and picked it straight up. There was not a hope uh, of that seed germinating. Jesus used that to illustrate how the human heart can become a life. And uh, you're no different than me. We're all the same. We've all uh, bleed the same type of blood. We've all got emotions. We've all got a mind. We've all got aspirations. But this world we live in is very dysfunctional. It is very cruel. Uh, we live in the same world and we hear horrific things that happen, the tragedy, the abuse, the physical, sexual, emotional abuse. People go through. And when you are hurt, unless you are in a relationship with God and you bring your pain to Jesus, who is the healer of the brokenhearted, what happens to your heart as it sets and bitterness and resentment and offense and you become staunch and you become tough. Now, it's all right to develop thick skin in life, but you should never, ever allow your heart to get thick. It's all right to be, you know, uh, you know, have a bit of a thick exterior and God can deal with you a little bit of a rough diamond, a little bit of a rough exterior. But if you allow your heart to become hardened, 
then God's word that wants to come and germinate in your heart, the devil just steals it right out. And if there is no supernatural conception and the seed of God's word with his DNA can't get into your heart and germinate, eternal life cannot spring forth. And we live in a world with just millions and millions and millions of people who are hard. You've met them at night. They're hard to live with. They're prickly. They're contentious. They're hard to live with. You wouldn't want to sort of flat with them, live with them. It's just too difficult. Everything's an issue. Prickly, temperamental, staunch. And I've met a lot of staunch people, but I've found there is also not only what I call street hardness, there is another thing that is more sinister, religious hardness. One of the saddest verses in the New Testament is in John 1. It said, Jesus came to his own. A nation raised in the laws of God, in the synagogues, in the temples, who should have known God and been looking for their Messiah. And it says, Jesus came to his own and his own received him not. It'd be like a royal visit from the Queen of England coming over to one of the Commonwealth countries and be totally rejected by the country that she comes to. Jesus came as the King of Israel to Israel and by and large, he was totally rejected by a religious culture because their heart had grown hard. And the majority of the people there had no regard for him. They followed him for a while to get a free feed and to get some miracles, but they weren't interested in surrendering to him. And life has got a way of making your heart hard. I've been through stuff in my life where I've felt gutted, I've felt hurt, I've felt betrayed, and in your heart you're just like, oh, stuff that, and you can feel your heart getting hard. And if you're not the sort of person that has a, 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 got the, you know, uh, the commitment to come back into God and have a catharsis and have it out with God and talk to God and sing to God and say, Lord, I used to worship you on the mountains and now I'm in a valley, but God... Whether this, and I've said to God, Lord, this sucks, this hurts. It is, I, I, Lord, this is painful what I'm going through. And I said, God, I don't care if it hurts so long as you understand and you can turn this pain into your purpose. And I said, God, you've got to be able to redeem this pain. And, and it's so wonderful. And you can bring your heart to God. Jesus is the healer of the brokenhearted. But you've got to bring it to God, otherwise the seed of God's word will die in your life. That seed did not germinate. There was no foliage. There was no fruit, nothing. The second type of soil was beautiful, soft, rich, uh, cultivated, aerated, beautiful soil. The only problem, and I have bring this verse up here. This is our second verse. Uh, in Mark 4.18, it said... Um, these are the ones sown among the thorns. Uh, sorry, no, sorry. Uh, Matthew 13, verse 20. But he who received the seed on the stony places is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet has no root in himself, but endures only for a while. For when tribulation or persecution arise because of the word, immediately they stumble. In Israel they would have in certain regions massive um, stratas of lime rock that would go right through the country. A lime rock is like a hard rock and it would just be just under the surface. And so on top of that was beautiful uh, thick soil. The rotary hoe had been through on a top level and it was good for planting, but it might have only been 6, 12 or 18 inches deep. So the seed would go in there and it would germinate and it would put its little roots down 
but the roots couldn't go very deep down, so all of their energy sprung up. And this verse says, these people, they receive the Word with joy. There is an excitement and enthusiasm. They love God. They love church. Everything is good. But until the seasons change and summer comes, and I've been hearing about the hot summers you guys have here in Melbourne. I think in Auckland, it's, the winters are similar, but it sounds like yours, we get maybe a couple of days in the, you know, maybe hit 30 a few times. Sounds like you guys get up close to 40. Man, that's hot. How many know that your grass and everything goes pretty dry in Melbourne over summer? Unless you water it, and that's an expensive thing. And Jesus said this, uh, the, these people here, because they cannot go down and find a sustainable water source, they put all of their energy into growing up, and they put lots of leaves and lots of foliage. But when the sun comes up, they are scorched and they die. And Jesus likened it to certain people who have a superficial Christianity. Yes, I love God. I want to serve God. I love God. It's all, it's all good. But they departmentalize their life. But Lord, don't talk to me around the issues of money. Yeah. Oh, no, 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 God, I'll serve you. But please don't talk to me around the areas of sexuality because I've got my preferences. And God, don't go there. And so we departmentalize your lives. And you will sort of flourish in your Christian life for a while, but it doesn't really matter how well you start. It's how well you finish. And Jesus said, he who endures to the end, he shall be saved. It's wonderful seeing people get married. What I want to see is those people still happily married 20, 30, 40, 50 years later. And how many know if you want to stay married, it takes intentionality and commitment and making that lady a priority and investing into her, amen? And it takes time and Christianity is a relationship. And so there is a type of Christian that is superficial. Their Christianity is a mile wide, yet it's only maybe six inches deep. And it's only a matter of time until hardship comes your way and suddenly you find, oh man, this Christianity is costing me. <clears throat> oh man, I've, I'm sort of required to be at church, you know, regularly and on Sunday and all my buddies are going fishing or going diving or going out on the harbour or, you know, man, I lost that business contract because I wouldn't go along with what these guys were talking and joking about. And man, Christianity is actually starting to cost me and you start to evaluate, is it worth it? Jesus said, that plant withered away. If you looked at it, had a lot of foliage, but when Jesus comes to your life, he's not looking for religious foliage, he's looking for fruit. This plant did not produce any fruit. And Jesus said, herein is my Father glorified that you produce fruit and that your fruit remains. And so that seed died. So far, 50% of this wonderful seed that was sown has brought no fruit to maturity. The third type of... Um, let me just uh, back up here talking about hardness, whether it's on the surface or deep down. Uh, we went through a, uh, been at life for 11 years now. And um, prior to that, my wife and I were pastoring a church in Wellington. We had a wonderful five years there, but we we're a part of a bigger movement that was uh, going in a, in, a, in, a, in a direction that was becoming very pre presidential, very, um, uh, it was just getting unhealthy. And I was really struggling because we had a church not too dissimilar to this with wonderful people who love God and loved us as their pastors, but we're a part of a bigger movement. And long story short, it started going pear-shaped, and I had to uh, be honest 
with some of the things I believed and, and, the, and the, the focus of the leadership. And because it was quite sectarian, we were basically had to leave and cut our ties. And it was just a really challenging time. I'm like, I'm 38 years old. I'm unemployed. All my friends that I've holidayed with, we've married them, baptized them, dreamed of growing old and building a great church in the capital. It's all come to nothing. And I'm like, God, I'm raw. I'm hurt. This sucks. My kids are asking me what's happening. My wife is crying. My wife's getting hurt over it. And my wife's heart started to really harden. And I said, honey, no matter how hard this is, we've got to trust God. We've got to press in. And her heart became really hard. And we had to really pray. And God gave her a verse in Ezekiel. God comes to the prophet and he says, I will take from you the heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And she just begins to bring that verse before God and she was open. She said, Lord, my heart is hardening. Lord, I'm hurt. I don't understand. And she just began to say, God, you promised that you're going to give me a heart of flesh. And she began to pray over that verse. And it's amazing when you get honest and open and sincere with God and you do what the Holy Spirit is saying, how God can come and suddenly your hard heart can become softened. But for that to happen, you have to allow. Now, in agriculture, they have to get a thing called a rotary hoe. And every year before they re-sow, how many know what a rotary hoe is? If you don't know, go home and Google it and look at, you know, back in the days, cows, yokes, you know, great big thing with a you know, V-shaped formation, and they'd pull it through, and it would break up what was called the unfallow ground. And Hosea the prophet cries out, and he said, Break up your fallow ground. For it is time to seek the Lord until he comes and rains righteousness on us. And the prophet is saying, unfellow ground is hearts that used to be alive and soft and open to God, but over time have become hardened and dry and unresponsive to the divine whisperings. And the prophet says, break up your unfellow ground. And unless you allow, allow the Lord to bring repentance into your life and you're willing to make some really radical decisions and say no to some stuff and break off some relationships and forgive and get really honest and confess and be honest with God, your heart is gonna stay hard and the seed of God's word in your life, the most precious thing this side of eternity will begin to die. And all of God's plans and his potential and his wonderful call on your life will come to nothing and I know that seems harsh. That's real. It's just the way it is, guys. It's, that is exactly what happens, and it's happening all the time, which is why Jesus spoke this parable about keeping your heart right. And the third type of soil is what I call, uh, we've had the hardened heart, we've had the superficial heart, and the third heart I call the worldly heart. And in Mark 4, 18, it says, Now these are the ones sown among the thorns, these are the ones who hear the word, but the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches and the desire for other things entering in, choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. This is wonderful soil. Everything is going good. But how many know with a garden, you've got to constantly, every year I've got to spray my grass. Every few months I put fertilizer on it. If you want to have nice grass, it's amazing how weeds just come back. So I get the stuff from uh, Carter Holt or Bunnings. You have Carter Holt and Bunnings over here? Bunnings, amen. Weed and feed, whack your hose up to it, you know, spray it over and it fertilizes the good stuff and kills off the bad stuff. 
And Jesus said these natural weeds just begin to grow up. And because they're indigenous, they tend to, you know, grow faster. They get more water and they wrap themselves around the good plant and slowly, slowly, they just choke out the good plant until it dies. And Jesus identified what these weeds are. And he said they are three things. They are the cares of this world. You know, if you've got anxiety in your heart, if it's causing you anxiety, if it's a worry to you, God's concerned, bring that to God. But you've got to learn to treat anxiety. See, we tend to think, oh, maybe adultery, that's a real bad thing. But God says, do not be anxious for anything. You can't play, well, I struggle with anxiety and just treat it like it's your little pet thing there. Man, you need to shoot that thing in the head and run from it like you would a rattlesnake. Amen? you got to be ruthless with it. So don't be careless, but make sure you bring all of your cares and cast them upon to God. Don't let anxiety and fear and you know, uncertainty grip your heart. Bring it to God. That's what He's there for. But anxieties will begin to choke out your faith. And then he said the other thing was the, uh, he said the deceitfulness of riches. Let me know if someone walked up to you tonight, just put your hand out, put your hand out, and they just put down $100,000 in cold hard cash and said, bless you, my man. Help me know, there's a certain power about $100,000, isn't it? Oh man, I could, what could I do with that? Man, I could pay off some of my mortgage. I could go and get a new car. I could take the wife on a holiday. I mean, there's a, there's a certain sense of power with money, if you know what I'm talking about. Jesus said, be very careful about money because the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. And Jesus said, These, this is one of the things that you can start off well, but over time you get more preoccupied with stuff and materialism, and money, and the love of money, and you start loving money. Nothing wrong with money, but when you start to love it, and trust it, and put your hope in that rather than in God, it begins to choke, and your faith begins to die. And finally, he said, this is a scary thing, the desire for other things. And I'm every bit as human as every single one of you here. And I've found over my life, you know, as a young kid, I was into BMX bike riding and, oh, fascinated with BMX bikes and races and alloy cranks and snake belly tires and burn busters and all, it's all about BMX bikes and then triathlons and shaved legs, aerodynamic helmets, carbon fiber disc wheels going faster, Scott DH handlebars and, you know, time trialing and reps and running and speed and aerodynamics. And then, you know, it could be you know, gym or golf or there's all always barbecues, dogs, kettlebells. There's always something. How many know what I'm talking about? That we're preoccupied, we're on YouTube, we're researching it, we're hot rods or whatever it is. It's something. And Jesus said, be very careful about the desire for other things. Not necessarily wrong things, although that's included, but just stuff. And you've got to continually keep your heart right. And that's why it's so important to be part of a faith community and be part of a healthy church and get involved and connected and come into a place where we worship and perspective comes and reality because we start to focus on the wrong stuff. It alters our reality and we start to think we're someone we're not. And Jesus said, finally, I'll finish with this the last uh, verse here. Uh, this is a compilation because this uh, verse comes up in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and I put it together. 
He says, but he who receives the seed on the good ground is the one who accepts the word, understands the word with an honest and good heart. He keeps the word and he bears fruit with patience. Some a hundred, some 60 and some 30 fold. And you know what? The human will is an amazing thing. You can be raised on the wrong side of, if there is a wrong side of town, if you know what I mean, you could be raised in the wrong, you know, whatever. You could have bad parenting. But it's an amazing thing that you can come to a place in life where you can just choose. Say, that's wrong. I know it's wrong. I see what goes on. I don't like being treated that way. Jesus, I choose you. And the human heart can respond. You've got the free will ability to respond. And whatever you're chained by can be broken. You can accept the word. Or you can be raised and you could have Christian parents and be raised in a wonderful church like this, surrounded with good things and get to a certain age. And go, you know what? I've had a bunch of that. And you sniff around and you go back out into the world because you think the world offers you more. But Jesus said, You've got to accept the word. And man, I had to make some big decisions as a youngster. When I got saved when I was 16, I had to fly the white flag of surrender and say, God, I don't fully understand why you'd say don't do that. I don't fully understand why you're saying no sex before marriage because as a 16-year-old and my friends were experimenting, I was looking forward to that pleasure. But I had to accept the fact, God, if you say don't do it, I don't know all the reasons why, but I trust you do. And so I fly the white flag and say, God, not my will, but yours be done. And as the years have come and gone, I'm like, oh my gosh, there's reasons why God says this. But you've got to accept the Word. And then you begin to understand the Word. Oh my gosh, oh my gosh. And I'm teaching my kids now as they're growing up, I'm in all the stuff that God's taught me. My son, wow, Dad, I didn't realise that. Yeah, and this son. And one of the quickest ways you can mess your life up is by getting involved in these things. And my kids are like, whoa, I didn't know that, Dad. And you start to bring not just what God says, but the why behind the what and understanding comes. Jesus said you begin to keep the Word with a good and a sincere heart. You begin to live according to this reality. And you know, I don't always find it easy to read the Bible. Sometimes it's a real challenge for me. But I do love it when I can sit down and make a little coffee and get some little sweet treats out, amen? Sit in my living room with the sun coming in there and just begin to disconnect from this world and begin to connect with the reality of God's Word and just get connected to reality. Oh God, so, oh yeah, God, that's good. Oh yeah, Lord, help me to be like that. Oh God, help me never ever to do that. Oh, that guy made a bad mistake. Lord, may I never ever, you know, make that mistake. Oh God, that's good, Lord. Oh, that's a good warning. Lord, I need that. Oh, that's encouragement, Lord. I need oh wow, I didn't realize that. And it's just vitamins and minerals and protein and carbohydrates and nutrients and macronutrients. And it's just all the stuff that your spirit man needs is just coming in. And it keeps you on track and it keeps you thinking intelligently, philosophically and rationally and it just keeps you connected to God. Oh God, it's so good. We hope you enjoyed this podcast from Life. If you have any questions or want to contact someone about this message, visit lifeau.org.